the National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life. Poor health has kept Pope Francis from a trip to Dubai this weekend where he was supposed to participate in the United Nations COP28 climate conference. Nevertheless, the Pope has still kept a rather busy schedule this week. We talk about the Pope's health and other news from the Vatican, such as the potential that Cardinal Raymond Burke will be stripped of his Vatican apartment and stipend. We will discuss this with Jonathan Liedel, the Register's senior editor who joins us now from Rome. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register and Catholic News Agency, and your host here on Register Radio. And as usual, I'm joined by my co-host, Matthew Bunsen, who is EWTN News' Vice President and Editorial Director. Hi, Matthew. Hello. Great to be with you. Yes, it has been a very busy week this week. Um, I, I mean, first of all, when the Pope's health um, is in question, we all get a little bit on edge watching. Um, but this week it seemed um, more like the flu. Um, nevertheless, his doctors advised him not to travel to Dubai. He was, he was supposed to give two speeches and hold private meetings um, at the United Nations Climate Summit, but instead he was in Rome still doing a few meetings. Well, that's right. Uh, this is uh, part of the ongoing saga now with the Pope Francis. Uh, he, in his 10 years as Pope, we have seen him develop a number of uh, health issues, some complications, obviously, from the, the lung that was partially removed when he was a young man. Uh, that's complicated in this case, uh, the respiratory infection that he has. It's unclear. Is it, is it an actual influenza? Uh, but obviously, they're taking a lot of precautions with him, in this case, uh, also prescribing antibiotics, and it's mm -hmm. severe enough that they've asked him not to travel. But this is part of, as I mentioned, several health issues that he's had over the last years, including colon surgery, hernia surgery, and then a lot of problems with his knee. So we have watched him age, uh, and yet uh, he persists uh, with an immense amount of energy on his schedule as best he can. Yes, that's right. So, Jonathan, uh, we want to bring you on. You're reporting from Rome these days, and you were on the day that um, we, we found out that uh, it was a Saturday, I think, um, last Saturday, mm -hmm. November 25th. Mm -hmm. You were on that day when we found out the Pope was uh, taken to the hospital for precautionary testing. What do we know has happened in, the, you know, in this week in, in terms of his health? And, and, and even I guess we could even move on from that into the fact that he still has had um, some of his addresses. What do we know? That's right. Yeah. So, so Pope Francis, of course, he, well, I mean, first of all, right, to contextualize everything uh, and the health issues he's been experiencing, he's 86 years old and he turns 87 uh, on December 17th. So just right. in a few weeks. So it was really Saturday uh, when the press was notified by the Holy See's press office that Pope Francis had come down with a case of the mild flu and his audiences for the rest of the day uh, were can canceled. So when a notice like that com comes out, of course, you're on guard. You're you're saying, okay, well, what more is there? You know, what what direction is this heading in? What what news can we have? Um, the Vatican informed journalists later on in the day uh, that actually the Pope had been taken to the hospital that day on Saturday for kind of uh, you know a precautionary uh, CT scan to to see if there were pulmonary complications, uh, which came back negative. So. You know, we know that the, the the Pope has the flu, as Matthew said. He has been on this antibiotic drip treatment uh, to to treat inflammation in his lungs. Early on in the week, it seemed like things were getting back to normal. He he had a variety of, you know, of course on the his Angelus though on Sunday, 
Um, he, he, he did not appear at the window overlooking St. Peter's Square as he normally would, but rather from his residence at the, the Casa Santa Marta. Um, he was present, gave a few remarks, but then one of his aides read his uh, address. So that was definitely uh, something to keep an eye on. Uh, you know, during the week then, of course, it, it, it seemed like he was, um, that, that things were improving. He, there were video photos of him. Uh, receiving people in audiences, shaking hands and things like that. You know, actually on Tuesday, Jeanette and Matthew, there was a, a press conference with journalists here in Rome about this trip to Dubai. And because everyone was wondering, as soon as the news broke on Saturday, is he going to go or not? So there's a press conference, a briefing uh, Tuesday during the day. Okay, the Pope's going to go. Yeah, we're moving, you know, forward full steam ahead. And then later that evening, right, there's there's the notification from the Holy See press office saying that, you know, the Pope is doing better, his condition's improving, but uh, he still has this case of the flu, and out of, uh, out of precaution and the advice of his doctors, he's not going to travel uh, to Dubai, to the United Arab Emirates for that. So, you know, it's a, of course, the, the flu is nothing, nothing to kind of mess around with. It, it can knock any of us off our feet for a while. Uh, so it's interesting that the Pope is still, to the best of his ability, meeting with people, carrying out audiences, um, his voice at this point of time uh, is really kind of clearly uh, affected. Mm -hmm. In fact, on, on Wednesday, uh, during his general audience, uh, he had an aide read out his remarks because he, his voice was not strong enough to do so. So, uh, you know, the Vatican's message is, yes, he has the flu, but conditions are stabilizing, he's improving. Um, that's the word from there. But, of course, any time that someone in their 80s uh, comes down with something like this, there, there's always a lot of concern. So that's kind of where we're at right now. So his pictures from, or the pictures that I've seen from this November 29th uh, audience, I guess they wanted to lighten the mood. There was a circus there, <laughs> there in was. The Paul the Sixth Hall. Yes. I'm, I'm watching, looking at these Im incredible pictures of roller skaters and, and other interesting <laughs> acrobatics. Yeah. And, and one of his meetings, too, uh, from that same day was actually with uh, a soccer team from, from Scotland, Celtic, who... Uh, was founded by uh, a religious brother there. So, I mean, he's still, yeah, I mean, a circus meeting, soccer players, as well as some more more serious meetings as well, uh, the president of Paraguay that week as well. So, yeah, I mean, the Pope is doing, I think he's doing the best he can, right, to continue exactly. with, you know, Matthew, as you pointed out, that grueling schedule uh, that he maintains. But, um, you know, as far as I know, it's the first time that he's canceled a papal visit due to health. And, of course, Pope Francis, more than even John Paul II, He's been something of a globe-trotting pope. Absolutely. Uh, think per, you know, he, he will have visited, if not the most countries, the most countries per year of his papacy uh, of any pope. So for him to cancel that trip to Dubai, uh, and especially for an issue that is clearly a priority for him, climate change, uh, it, it must mean that, um, yeah, that the conditions are significant enough for him to heed the doctor's advice uh, and to try to just stay home and, and get some rest. So... Um, yeah, that's where, where, where things yeah. are at right now. We continue to kind of keep keep an eye on it. Some of our colleagues on the ground there said they were uh, they noticed just the Pope's face when when um, Dubai was mentioned. Like you could almost just see that he was regretting so much that he couldn't <laughs> attend. So yes, this is something near and dear to his heart. Matthew, maybe you know this, maybe you don't. So sorry to put you on the spot, but sure. um, one of our colleagues, uh, Courtney uh, Mars, uh, actually mentioned earlier this week on a call that uh, the 
the Pope during his Angelus on Sunday um, could not read the Angelus, but um, a, a Monsignor did. And um, in fact, this, uh, I think it was the official who drafts the, um, the Angelus for him on a regular basis. Did you catch, catch who that was? Yeah, I think you're talking about Monsignor Filippo Ciampanelli, uh, who works or, for the, the, go ahead. Jonathan? It might be Luca Breda, maybe, I think is the one who... I think you're right, yes. So I think um, Campanelli is the one who read it um, at the uh, audience. He read the address, but it was somebody different, and uh, he kind of (laughs) slipped. The Pope said, well, actually, you do these, um, (laughs) when he kind of thanked him for... Um, for doing uh, the, the Angelus um, for him each week, and and so that was yeah. something of note for Vaticanista because they, you know, that's usually it's not usual. Jonathan, you wanted to add? Well, it's I mean it's it's something we all know, right? Right. The Pope is is arguably one of the busiest men in the world, right? And he he's not preparing every homily he gives or every speech he gives or every Angelus greeting he gives, uh, but for him to come out and say it, right, and right. to say, you know, that Monsignor Luca Breda, who's an official of the, the Secretary of State, the Secretary of State here in the Vatican, for him to say basically, as he said, Jeanette, you've been writing these all along, so, you know, you'll go ahead and read it. And of course, you know, we know <laughs> that just because someone's writing something for the Pope, it doesn't mean that it doesn't kind of carry the weight of the Pope. Of course, the Pope delegates things to people, and it's still... You know, he's still the one reading it and approving it. But it was, yeah, kind of like a, a kind of interesting moment, like, a, you know, pull back the curtain a little bit and, and see see how things really work. And, you know, I think we I think it was maybe a well-kept secret that this Monsignor Breda had been uh, the ghostwriter for Pope Francis. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we knew some people were advising him uh, and preparing some of these remarks for him. But, yeah, it was kind of, a, you know, a, a clear indication, I think, from the Pope that he has confidence and, and Monsignor Breda and wanted to kind of give him an opportunity, right? Put him in the spotlight, so to speak, and, and read off his uh, remarks. Yeah, and in much uh, the same him. way that uh, the Holy Fathers relied on someone like uh, now Cardinal Victor Manuel Fernandez to draft a lot of his documents and things. So the Holy Father knows where to turn for help. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think, you know, honestly, and I know we're going to talk about uh, Cardinal Burke later on in, in the program, but I think, you know, an interesting point here is that in terms of the Pope's health, Right, coming from you know reports coming from the Holy See press office, um, and this not being the first time, kind of stretching over the ten-year papacy, and really in, in recent years as the health complications have piled up, you you often get the feeling that the Holy See press office does not know for sure right. what's going on, right? And I think it it kind of points to this broader phenomenon where Pope Francis, more so than any of his predecessors. Uh, seems very comfortable at, at kind of working around the, the official channels, right, the official um, structures, the official offices. And, and really, he's, he's a pope who people have described as, uh, you know, someone who, who is very personal, right? So he relies upon those close personal confidence, whether or not they're in the curia or not. He's someone who might, you know, on, on the street, see a religious sister, ask her opinion about something happening in the church, and that might have more weight for him than, you know, the heads of dicasteries at times. So I think it's, yeah, very much kind of in keeping the way we're finding out about about his health and some of the other issues going on in the Vatican, uh, very consistent with that motif of Pope Francis um, as being, as you put it, Matthew, as as really kind of referring his close personal entourage, maybe more so than the, the institutions already existing. Right. 
Well, we have been talking with Jonathan Liedel, Senior Editor at The Register here on Register Radio on EWTN. We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, we'll continue this conversation. We'll talk a little bit about what Jonathan was saying on Cardinal Burke and the fact that he may no longer have a Vatican apartment and um, what has happened in that case. But we're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more here on EWTN Radio and Register Radio. If you need your news on the go, read the register online. But if you want to take your time and savor the stories, then subscribe to the National Catholic Register's print edition. And with award-winning Catholic journalism that goes beyond what you'll find from any secular news service, you'll get the real story behind the events that unfold over the course of the year. Try the register for free today and get it delivered to your home, office, or parish. Join the Catholics who depend on the Register for its faithful and courageous reporting. Get six issues free today online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully. Let's return to Register Radio on EWTN. Welcome back. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register and Catholic News Agency. I'm here with Matthew Bunsen, uh, my co-host on Register Radio, as well as Jonathan Liedel. Uh, who is senior editor for the Register and who's been working from Rome these days. Uh, Jonathan mentioned uh, Cardinal Burke and, and the fact that Pope Francis often works outside of official communications uh, on sometimes important matters. And this matter is something that erupted in the Italian press this, this week. Um, apparently there was a meeting um, it was a meeting of the dicastery heads in, in Rome. So these are members, senior members of the Roman Curia. And at that meeting, the Pope mentioned that he was uh, going to strip Cardinal Burke of his uh, Vatican-funded, uh, uh, Vatican-paid-for apartment, and as well as his monthly stipend. And uh, all week we've been struggling to know if this is uh, true or not, and if Cardinal Burke... Um, had heard word of this, and Jonathan, you can tell us now what we know uh, about this situation with Cardinal Burke. Yeah, absolutely, Jeanette. So Cardinal Burke, of course, uh, a prelate originally from Wisconsin, longtime Archbishop of St. Louis, and then uh, in the Vatican uh, on kind of the Church's, uh, the Supreme Tribunal, so really kind of the Church's highest judicial office. So a longtime kind of member of the Vatican scene, and also, uh, more recently, a, a pretty prominent critic of Pope Francis, uh, uh, some of his initiatives, at least, uh, perhaps especially the, the Synod on Synodality. Um, and yeah, it began, uh, as these things sometimes do, not with an official statement from the Vatican, but in, um, in the New Compass, which is an Italian sort of news blog, right? A Catholic news blog reporting that they were hearing from sources that the Pope was going to move uh, to, to remove Cardinal Burke's uh, salary, the kind of stipend you continue to receive as, as a Roman cardinal, uh, and his apartment as well. So you start off with rumors on that case, but then as the week moved along, 
Uh, we had one of the most prominent newspapers in Italy reporting on it. We had the Associated Press reporting on it. We had Reuters reporting on it. So everyone, you know, continuing to cite anonymous sources, people who were, who were involved in that, that meeting you mentioned, Jeanette, with those dicastery heads or briefed on it, uh, confirming uh, those reports, you know, saying that the Pope was making this move because, you know, he saw Cardinal Burke as a source of disunity in the church and that he shouldn't continue to receive privileges and benefits from the church if, uh, you know, as these reports said, the Pope said that he was uh, attacking the church. So, but again, it's it's a lot of reports. It's a lot of people citing anonymous sources. Um, and interestingly enough, when journalists asked Matteo Bruni, who's the official spokesperson from the Holy See Press Office, he said he didn't he didn't have anything to comment, right? He, di he didn't know about it. He said, you should talk to Cardinal Burke, you should talk to Pope Francis. So kind of one of these situations where enough people are reporting on it where you can at least say, you can say, okay, there are all these reports from credible institutions. Um, and then another development actually happened on Wednesday when Austin Ivory, who's a papal biographer and kind of thought to be sort of in, um, you know, Pope Francis's, uh, I, I don't know, not, maybe not his innermost circle, but, but kind of with access to the Pope. He said he met with the Pope. Uh, he talked with the Pope about these reports uh, and, and that the Pope did confirm, in fact, uh, that Cardinal Burke, um, his 5,000 euro stipend, which is the kind of 5,000 euro a month that's the stipend that cardinals continue to receive after they, they're no longer working, uh, and as well as uh, his, the rent-free um, dimension of his Vatican apartment were being pulled back. Uh, so it's, you know, it's, the Vatican itself has said nothing about it. It was... Right. Oh, go ahead, Jeanette, if, yeah, if you want to... Yeah, you're right. I mean, the, that's exactly the point I was going to make. The Vatican hasn't um, said anything about it. Uh, the the, the, the uh, Vatican press office has not been able to respond to confirm this. Um, mm -hmm. And yet we get someone who has indeed before had access to the Pope and who, who was selected for, for key um, communications positions in the Synod on Synodality, um, mm -hmm. but who, who we also know has a clear position, um, was the one that the Pope, that got an answer from the Pope apparently. Um, of course, we mm -hmm. haven't seen that or documented that. But, you know, I mean, Austin Ivory got the Pope's... Um, to respond, it seems. Uh, I, I would say that this kind of irritated Cardinal Burke, who we have been unable to get on the record or to confirm this, but he did respond to um, uh, the Wall Street Journal's request in, a, in an article and, and mentioned uh, that uh, that people can draw their own conclusions about why the Holy Father told Austin Ivory and not the person concerned. He knows nothing of the matter. Cardinal Burke said he has not been been communicated to about this matter. So, um, very very strange uh, situation here, and I, I think we'll have to see what happens. Um, Matthew, I think you brought up that. Um, Archbishop Geinswein was in a similarly strange situation at the start of, of, of last January, uh, the start of 2023. That's right. Yeah, he uh, essentially was evicted uh, from uh, his lodgings in Rome and, and sent back to Germany. Uh, both of them now hold uh, no portfolio as far as uh, assignments go. Uh, but uh, Jonathan, one thing that I want to, uh, because this has been asked quite a bit on social media, there is no indication, is there, that uh, Cardinal Burke for example, will be ousted from the College of Cardinals or that he will lose his rights as a cardinal, in particular when it might come to a conclave. 
No, absolutely not, Matthew. I mean, Cardinal Burke is only 75, so he still has, you know, five years uh, remaining where he's eligible to vote in a conclave if that were to happen. So there's no indication that that something as drastic as that is happening or even, you know, the initial reports made it sound like, uh, you know, as you pointed out with Archbishop Ganswein, that he was basically being kicked out of the Vatican. Uh, but according to other reports that have come out since, including from Catholic News Service and other sources, uh, really the issue at question is whether uh, he'll continue to have an apartment rent-free, right? Like, as a, as a kind of privilege and a right as a cardinal. Um, of course, cardinals are, you know, they wear the red hat because they're tied to Rome and the martyrs of Rome and the exactly. blood that they shed. So they're, they're at service uh, of the church in Rome. They have a special connection to Rome. So Cardinal Burke, I think, hopes to continue to live in Rome. Um, but the issue is that it'll, it'll be a little bit more difficult, right, if, if uh, the kinds of, um, you know, you could call them privileges or rights, but, you know, it's another way of looking at it is this person have ser has served the church in this capacity, and it's the, the church's way of, of kind of continuing to take care of them. Um, but he might, uh, yeah, if he wants to live in Rome and continue to have that apartment, it sounds like uh, it'll be something that he will have to find the funding for himself. Yeah. Um, and he often does provide yeah. important service for the apostolic signatura, doesn't he? Even though he's no longer prefect. That's right. He, yes, he does continue actually to play a, a consultative role on it. So he doesn't have that, that high position, which the Pope had initially removed him from before, but he's still, uh, yeah, contributing to uh, the Roman Curia, contributing to the life of the church in Rome. That's right. I was going to say he had he did tell the Wall Street Journal, according to their report, that he does have no intention of leaving Rome. He, he this is a quote: "It's my duty as a cardinal to remain in Rome." He said. So just like you said, a, a cardinal is tied to Rome, and he has every intention of staying there, as far as as we know. So, uh, yes. But I will add too: we heard rumors of uh, Archbishop Geinswein being, you know, asked or forced to leave uh, the Vatican in January of last year, and that did not actually happen until the summertime. So you just never know what how these things will evolve, but we will watch. I'm going to again point out, like we talked about before, you know, we're continuing to watch, but it's like, well, where are we watching, right? Are we looking for the official Vatican channels of communication that would make these things clear so we could all be on the same page? Or are we looking to blogs? Are we looking to anonymous sources? Or um, X. So it just continues, I think. Yeah, <laughs> or X, moving right? vans. Formerly known as Twitter. Right. Uh, it's just where do you look to to find what's happening officially in the Vatican, especially under this pontificate, yeah. uh, is a question that a lot of journalists have. Great point. And, and to that point, I was going to bring up Germany. And apparently the Pope has continues, con continued concern over the German synodal way. And yet uh, the way we found out about his continued concern was because four lay women received a letter from him noting this concern. So, Jonathan, you reported on that uh, for the register. What were the Pope's concerns and who did he tell? That's right. The, well, to give context to this as well, of course, the synodal way, this push for, for uh, radical changes in, in Germany has been ongoing for a number of years. Uh, after the recent synod in Rome, uh, the synod on synodality, the German delegation wanted to make it seem like that, that you know, that they, that the synod had endorsed their approach in Germany. But shortly after, uh, yeah, it was uh, published in a German newspaper, actually a letter that the Pope had written to four German laywomen who had previously been delegates to the synodal way in Germany, but had resigned out of protest. 
And the Pope uh, expressed uh, in, in very strong words, I think, uh, that that in Germany right now, uh, elements of the church in Germany are taking concrete steps that threaten the unity uh, of the Catholic Church, that threaten to, for Germany to kind of break away from the path that the rest of the church is on. And in particular, uh, and this is where it gets important, because when the Pope talks about particularities, right, that's, that's where you can really hone in on something. He mentioned... Uh, the Synodal Committee. So in Germany, they finished up with their uh, the, the assemblies of the Synodal way back in March. And one of the things that, that they're aiming at, maybe their, their top goal, is to establish uh, a permanent council, a Synodal Council, that will govern the Church, a mixed body of bishops and laity, uh, where in fact the, the laity could overrule the bishops on important decisions in the life of the Church in Germany. And this committee is meant to prepare it, and the Pope concretely called that out. Right, and he concretely called that out and said, "This is one of those things that that threatens uh, the unity of the church, um, and that is attempting to create the synodal council that the Vatican has already explicitly told the German bishops is incompatible with the church's sacramental and ecclesiological theology." Uh, so, so strong words from the Pope. But again, Jeanette, to your point, right, this is coming in the form of a letter that these four German laywomen they sent to the Pope on November sixth. He responded back to them quickly, uh, November 10th, actually, uh, and then they got permission from the Vatican to publish it. So in a sense, it's very strong, but also it's it's coming, it's a letter, right, that four German laywomen received. And in fact, the German Bishops' Conference, when it was put to them, hey, what do you make of this? The Pope is saying the Snow Committee that many of you are participating in, continue to co-sponsor. The Pope is saying this is a, a problem and a threat to unity. Uh, the, the German Bishops' Conference said, well, the letter was addressed to four lame women and not to us, uh, so we're not going to respond. We're gonna we're gonna pass on it. So, strong words, but again, like the question of is it that that kind of direct confrontation that I think many people are hoping for? Right. And what a catch-22. They want to elevate, the German bishops want to elevate uh, the role of the laity, and yet they're not going to listen to the Pope's uh, words to uh, four laywomen. So I don't, I don't yeah, get that. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's another show. But I want to point to the ncregister.com where you can find Jonathan's story here about the German Synodal Way and the Pope's latest intervention. That's titled, Pope Francis Intervenes in German Synodal Way, Expresses Concerns About Threats to Church Unity. All right, so we will continue our discussion with Jonathan. There's a whole lot to talk about from Rome. And Matthew, I think you have some ideas I wasn't able to get into the show segment. Yeah, I wanted to uh, follow up uh, with Jonathan on the fact that we had Francis's letter, but then we also have this uh, letter coming from the Secretary of State, uh, Pietro Parolin. Uh, can we talk about that? Because I think that seems very closely connected to Francis's concerns for Germany. Yeah, absolutely. And probably you know, a little more officially, if you will, uh, this is a letter. Uh, the date is very important because this letter was written on October 23rd. So in the midst of the Synod on Synodality, Cardinal Perilene writes to the German's Bishop Conference, and he tells them that in subsequent meetings with, between the Vatican and the German bishops, questions of changing the Church's teaching on sexuality, which is something the Germans have advocated for, and also, similarly, uh, the question of uh, attempting to ordain women, that these are not on the table, right? That the Vatican is not going to entertain continuing those conversations with the German bishops as they try to figure out a solution between this perceived split between uh, what's happening in Germany and the universal church. 
So that letter was received on October 20 or sent on October 23rd. And it didn't become public in Germany until after that letter we already talked about, the one to four German laywomen. It became public, uh, I think, my date, the date might escape me, but later in the month, uh, November 23rd, I believe. Um, so this is a letter that, that we don't think, we don't know was shared with the rest of the German bishops uh, when they were meeting, for instance, as part of that synodal committee, November 10th to the 11th. Um, and yeah, it, I mean, it, it draws further red lines, I think, from the Vatican. We know the Vatican sent previously back in January a letter to the German bishop, said, hey, synodal council, no dice. We're not talking about it. That's not a possibility. But now the Vatican, it seems like, is kind of continuing to lay down these bright red lines for the Germans, um, now on, on questions of on sexual teaching, uh, and then, uh, of course, on questions of ordination. So, I, I, we're, I, you know, it really, really seems like you know, one interpretation is that the Pope wanted to give the Germans as much patience, as much time, as much space as possible to avoid these landmines, to avoid crossing uh, into kind of, uh, you know, uh, forbidden territory. Um, but they've done it. They've accelerated it. And now the Vatican is drawing these red lines. But I think it's a, a question, Matthew, of whether it's too little, too late, and what happens next. Well, if the timing is right, uh, and they were actually recipients of this letter, at least was dated October 23rd, that means that this letter presumably was sent during the Synod. Mm-hmm. It, absolutely. So, it was. And, you know, we have some reporting. We're going to uh, continue to follow up on this. But th there is reason to believe that the German Bishops' Conference received this letter, in fact, shortly after that October 23rd date. Um, so they knew where the Vatican stood on, on these priorities of the German Synodal Way. And yet in public, they've continued to make it seem like, oh, there's no problem here. We can continue to push for these things. Um, in, in fact, to go back to that letter from the four German laywomen, uh, the, the German Bishops' Conference did not respond to it. But Thomas Soding, who's the vice president of the ZDK, which is the Central Committee of German Catholics, a very powerful lay organization in Germany that's really pushing for uh, a lot of these changes, he commented on Twitter or X, and he said, uh, you know, we're not looking to create division here. Uh, and, and in fact, you know, we're, we're proposing the Synodal Council to the Universal Church, and that we believe that the Universal Church will accept this Synodal Council. So you have this scenario in which it's like a high-state games of chicken, right? It's like a high-state games of who's going to blank first. The Germans continue to push ahead with all these changes, and, the, and they continue to use lines like, well, eventually the Universal Church will catch up with us. The Vatican continues to say no, you can't cross this red line. And so we're really re we're running out of uh, runway, if you will. We're running out of space and time for when it's just going to be an exchange of words because— the situation in Germany is that many of these, uh, you know, they might call them reforms. We would call them radical departures and changes from from the faith. Um, they have a they have a date. They have an implementation date coming up. And so, it, it, are we just going to see letters exchange? Right? Are we going to see words exchange? Or and especially, you know, we talked about Cardinal Burke, right? And how his privileges were removed because allegedly he was a, a source of disunity in the church. We haven't talked about Bishop Joseph Strickland from Tyler, Texas, who, of course, was removed from pastoral governance of that diocese, um, probably in large part due to uh, his critiques of the Pope uh, on social media. But what everyone's asking is, okay, the Germans are continuing to b barrel ahead with this project 
that now the Pope has said multiple times threatens the unity of the church, is an elitist project, is not helpful. And really the question I think on everyone's mind is when are we going, going to see concrete action? Because we know the Pope is capable of taking that. Uh, Pope Francis is willing to take it when uh, on certain issues. So when will that happen? In this case, well, and he's used different uh, offices, uh, different dicasteries. Uh, I think of the uh, then Congregation for Bishops under then uh, its prefect uh, Cardinal Willette uh, uh, to weigh in on some of the things that the Germans have been doing. So, are we seeing the same pattern here with uh, the Secretary of State weighing in? But Francis continues to stay either above the fray or at least removed from it. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, Matthew, because back in November, a year ago, right. The German bishops had their ad limina visit to Rome. They're once every five years, you know, come to Rome, meet the Pope and tell him how things are going. And in fact, there's supposed to be a meeting between the Pope and the bishops where they addressed a lot of these issues. And the Pope didn't attend that meeting. Instead, he had uh, Cardinal Perilene, as we've mentioned, who's the head of the Secretary of State, Cardinal Ouellette, who was then the head of the Dicastery for Bishops, as well as Cardinal Luis Ladaria, who is the head of the dicastery of the doctrine of the faith at that time. So the Pope tapping these delegates to, to kind of do the heavy lifting or to intervene on these matters. The letter that was sent from the Vatican to the German bishops back in January saying nine to the Synodal Council, that came uh, from Cardinal Perilene and Cardinal Ouellette. Um, and, and so, yeah, you're right, there's a delegation. Now, what, what's really interesting, Matthew, is we see Cardinal Perilene and the Secretary of State intervened at this most most recently, right, saying, no, we're not going to continue to talk about sexuality and ordination with you. But Cardinal Ouellette and Cardinal Ladaria are no longer heads of their dicasteries. Instead, we have uh, Cardinal Robert Prevost, originally from Chicago, who's head of the bishop's dicastery. And then we have Cardinal Victor Manuel Fernandez, right, who we've already talked about on the show, who's a close confidant of the Pope's, has been his theological ghostwriter, and is now head of the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith, and who also, in some of his interviews, has expressed a kind of unwillingness to criticize the Germans too harshly. He says, well, I want to I see what, what's going on there, and I, you know, maybe there's some good things mixed with some confusion or bad things. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a delegation, but I think it'll be very interesting to see how that changes with, with different members uh, heading up uh, these dicasteries in Rome. Um, you know, and of course... Paroline, there's no reason to believe that he's going rogue and that he's doing this on his own without the Pope's uh, blessing. But, but again, I think people can continually, and we see this in the response from Germany, we see people saying, well, you know, okay, this is the Secretary of State, but if the Pope really wanted something, if he really wanted us to stop something, he would tell us directly, right? We right. would hear from him directly. So until That's that the game happens, of chicken. That's the yeah, game of chicken it, you're talking about, right? It went, it, it's almost like they yeah. want to force his hand. And, uh, and mm -hmm. I think you're right to mention uh, um, Cardinal uh, Victor uh, Manuel Fernandez. I think he's the one to watch and uh, in, in see if he is indeed going to be weighing in to this important matter. He weighed into a lot in the first mm -hmm. um, couple of months in, his, in office. And uh, you would imagine he is... is certainly working on this, but what <laughs> uh, will happen is really something we have to watch. Well, gentlemen, this has been a great conversation uh, here on Register Radio. Uh, again, I'm pointing people back to ncregister.com where you can find all, almost all the news we've been talking about either now or in the short future as we are reporting on uh, the situation at the Vatican and the life of the church. So thank you for joining us. The pleasure as always. 
Thanks for joining us here on Register Radio on EWTN. For Matthew Bunsen and our producer, Jeff Burson, I'm Jeanette DeMello, and I pray until next week, may God bless you. For more information about the National Catholic Register and about Register Radio, go to ncregister.com. Podcasts of Register Radio are posted on ncregister.com and on ewtn.com. Join us next week at this time for Register Radio on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.